Friends, back in 2004, when President George W. Bush was sweeping across many Pennsylvania cities in his bid for a re-election to a second term, President George W. Bush came to Wilkes-Barre. Well, it isn't every day that the President of the United States is nearby. And so Heather and I decided to take our boys to that presidential rally. We wanted to give them a fun experience. We wanted to give them a little taste of their patriotic duty as citizens. Now to them, of course, little boys at the time, it was very fun and very all exciting for them as we weaved our way through the long lines and we went through the metal detectors and, and then they saw off to the side the security guards who had the cool black Oakley sunglasses and their guns and everything. But the anticipation really, I think, started to build once we were in the arena and we started to make our way towards our seats. And, of course, we're surrounded by all these other people, people with patriotic posters, and they had American flags. And, and then, of course, right down front, there was the presidential podium. And there on the front of it was the round presidential seal. And there was all of this American flag bunting all over the place. But then, the moment finally arrived, right? The live band was there, and they struck up that famous song. It's the one and only song that the President of the United States will come out to, Hail to the Chief. And that's when my boy's eyes got as wide as dinner plates because they knew the President was in the building, and the President of the United States was now coming out to speak to us. Now, for those of you who have ever been to a presidential rally before, if you've ever been to an event where the president appears, you know firsthand it is really a powerful experience. When that president enters the room and then when he exits the room, it is always marked by extraordinary music and fanfare. Well, family, we're going to continue our study this morning on the Apostles' Creed. And we've been learning that at the heart and the soul, the real meat of the Apostles' Creed focuses on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now listen, friends, what is so amazing about the biography of Jesus is the way that both His entrance into the world as well as His exit from this world were both marked by supernatural miracles. Just think about this with me. When Jesus said goodbye to planet Earth, He did so not long after His miraculous resurrection from the grave. And even as He said goodbye to this planet, He did so with a miraculous ascension up into the clouds and off into glory. But friends, not only did Jesus exit this world so miraculously, He also entered this world miraculously too. Scripture teaches us, and the Apostles' Creed affirms, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Well, family, when faithful Christians like you and I align ourselves with the Creed's teaching on, on Jesus' miraculous conception and His virgin birth, why are these twin truths so important to our Christian faith? Why was it so important that Jesus be conceived by the Holy Spirit? Why was it so necessary for Him to be born of a virgin? 
Well, thankfully, friends, the Bible gives us insightful answers to these very important questions, and that will be the focus of our time here this morning. So I want us to consider now together, friends, four reasons why Jesus had to come. Four reasons why Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit and his virgin birth are so important to our Christian faith. Let's talk about these four reasons this morning. Here's the first one, number one, to reveal God to man. Number one, to reveal God to man. Now, friends, when we open the Scriptures, there we discover something amazing. God is not hiding. God is not hiding. He is not purposefully trying to keep human beings in the dark as it relates to Him. The Bible actually teaches that God is a revealing God. God is a communicating God. He's a speaking God. He's a revealing God. And everywhere we turn, there is revelation that God has given that makes Him known in glorious ways. Look in your notes. I gave you Psalm 19, verse 1. is a great place to start. Scripture says there, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Friends, when you and I on a dark night, when we go out and we look up into space and we see the, the moon, we see the stars, we see the planets, we, we read and even see the pictures that have been taken from deep space of all of these supernovas, boy, that strikes us, doesn't it? That there's an awesome God out there. There's this incredible, amazing, powerful God who made all these things. But not only when we look out do we see revelation about God, even when we look at ourselves, we see immense revelation about who God is. We look at our physical bodies, and we see these amazing things called eyes. We understand how eyes work, how optics work, and even your ears. The fact that you are hearing my voice right now as the sound waves come into your ears and rumble around off your eardrums, then you can hear that, and your brain is getting the signals of this. We serve an awesome God who designed that. And do we even mention human DNA and the amazing chemistry and all of the helixes that are there and the way God made human beings. We see the awesome designing power of this incredible God who is truly a genius. Think about that. Look out into the telescope. You see great revelation about God. Look into the microscope and you see great revelation about God. But listen, it isn't only in creation or in nature that God makes Himself known. God has also made Himself known through His written Word. We have the written Word of God's revelation, the Bible. And what you and I are holding in our laps today is not just one book from God, it's a whole library of volumes that have been assembled by God full of rich knowledge. Here's a whole library of truth about God. So the Bible does a great deal of, of revelation to us about who God is. So whether we look outward into space, whether we look inward into our bodies, whether we look into the Word of God, here's all of this revelation. And it, of course, comes to us rationally. Rationally. In other words, this truth enters our mind. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. But you know, that's not really, if you think about it, that's not really the fullest way you can come to know something. The fullest way that you can come to know someone is not just rationally. 
You need to do more than just look at their pictures or read their email. Now, if you really want to get to know someone, you need to be present with them. Well, friends, that's exactly what God did. As he wanted to reveal himself to man, God came among man in Jesus Christ. Look in your notes. I gave you Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So when Jesus stepped out of eternity, when Jesus came down and entered this planet through Mary's womb, Jesus was bringing God into full view so that we can see what God is really like. Now, sure, we can learn a lot about God, as I've said. We can learn a lot about God by studying the stars and researching cells, but nothing, nothing else can compare to the revelation that comes from a real face-to-face -face encounter. Now, let's open our Bibles together and let's look at one of the foundational, fundamental passages that tells us about Jesus coming to earth as a human being. It's in Matthew chapter 1. So take your Bible and go to the first chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like to read from verse 18 through verse 25 as you follow along. So Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And we read this passage every year at Christmas, and it seems so humdrum to us, doesn't it? Every December we hear this scripture read in church, we see these scriptures appear on Christmas cards, and we, hmm. But friends, do you see what an amazing passage this is? In just one text of scripture, here's God's revelation. What we just read, not only did we find out in this passage about the unique name of Jesus, what his name was going to be, but God reveals this truth that there was going to be this miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would be born by Mary, even though she was a virgin. So why did God become a man? Well, as we're studying in this first point, to give you and I a fuller, fuller picture of who God is. To let us hear and see and touch and know God in, in order that ultimately you and I might come into a relationship with this eternal God. 
Did you notice there? That's why verse 23, that's why Matthew, the gospel writer, brings that famous scripture from Isaiah 7, 14, telling us about Jesus. What is so unique about him? He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Family, when the Apostles' Creed affirms this core truth, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, He was born of a virgin, we understand the reasons why this happened. One of the reasons why is that you and I might know God in a fuller way, most especially that, that we would see and experience His great love for sinners like us. Now, let's move on. Let's see a second reason now why God became man. A second reason why God became man, number two, to become one of us. Number two, to become one of us. Now, family, I want you to stay with me. This is so important, what I'm going to talk about here for the next minute. In the first 200 years of church history, one of the biggest debates that went on in the first two centuries was on the being of Jesus the big debate in the first 200 years of church history was on Jesus. Who was Jesus? What was he really like? What was his true being? And there were many people in the first two centuries who believed that Jesus couldn't have possibly have been a real man. This was a heresy. This was a false teaching that really began to rapidly circulate in the first two centuries. It was a heresy known as Docetism. Docetism. Now, this isn't too hard of a word to understand. The word docetism comes from a Greek word which means to seem. To seem or to be. Now, for people who, who promoted and believed this docetism heresy, their assertion was that Jesus was not a real human being. Their assertion was that Jesus just seemed to be a real human being. In their minds, Jesus really did not possess the same humanity as you and me with flesh and bones and a real physical body. Their assertion was that Jesus only seemed to be a real human being. They said that he was really more of just a, a spirit being, a spiritual being that was just kind of covered over with skin and flesh. Almost like my daughter Hadley this morning had to peel open the silver wrapper of the Pop-Tart. Well, the, the, the real Pop-Tart's on the inside, but you got to kind of peel open that silver wrapper. That's how people kind of looked at Jesus, that he was truly a spiritual being, but he was just covered over with skin like a person. Now, where did this viewpoint come from? I mean, you, sometimes you say, where do people come up with this stuff, right? Who, who thinks of this? Well... The people who held to this viewpoint really were being influenced by the Greek philosophies of their day. The Greek philosophies of the day taught, and people believed in those early centuries, that physical matter was inherently evil. They believed that physical things, physical matter, was, was evil. And the only thing that was truly pure, truly right, was spiritual things and immaterial things. So they come to this conclusion then. Well, if they would say, if, if Jesus really was pure, if Jesus really was righteous, well, he couldn't possibly have had a real human body 
that was made up of true matter, made up of real skin and real flesh. Well, this was a denial of the truth. I mean, this was a big deal. This was a big false teaching. And the church had to stand firm on this to say, no, that's wrong. Jesus is a real human being, and it matters that he was a real human being. And the New Testament church was very clear. If a person doesn't affirm that Jesus was indeed a real man with real flesh, that he was 100% humanity, if you don't affirm that, you are not a Christian. Now, how big of a deal was this? John the Apostle wrote about it in 1 John chapter 4. Look in your notes. 1 John 4, verse 2. John writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, family, why was this such a big deal? Why was this such a point of contention? Why did it matter? Why was this something worth fighting for? Well, the answer is simple. If Jesus is not a real man, then you do not have real salvation. Just think that through for a second. In the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and it was Eve who disobeyed God who brought sin and who brought corruption and spiritual death to the entire human race. Adam and Eve were real people. Real people committing real sin. And Adam and Eve were there. And Adam was our representative. Adam was there as the representative for the entire human race. And he was a real person. So friends, if you and I are going to be restored to our Heavenly Father, well, we need another human being. A real human being to come in and do what Adam and what you and I could not do. And that is why it is so important that Jesus had to be a real human being. He was born from the womb of Mary. He was a real human being. He needed to be one of us so that He could then stand in our place as our substitute to fulfill all the righteous requirements that God had put forth. Look in your notes. I gave you Romans chapter 5. These are very important verses. You should even put a star by these. Romans 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now stay with me. Look at the next verse. For as by the one man's disobedience... Now who's that? Adam. Put that in parentheses right above that. Through the one man's disobedience... Who's that? Put that in parentheses. Adam. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, who's that? That's Jesus. Put that in parentheses. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So friends, the only thing that could save us, the only thing that could restore us back to our Heavenly Father was a real human being. And not only real but sinless too. Sinless. So that He could be our righteous representative before God. Look in your notes. I gave you a wonderful quote. 
from a great theologian of our day. His name is Dr. Jim Packer. And J.I. Packer said this, talking about Jesus being sinless. Look at this great quote. This is wonderful. Packer says, quote, Since Jesus was virgin born, he did not inherit the guilty twist called original sin. His manhood was untainted, and his acts, attitudes, motives, and desires were consequently faultless. That's right. That's exactly right. So, we're asking the question today, friend. We're asking two questions of why. Why the conception by the Holy Spirit? And we're asking why the virgin birth? Well, Hebrews 2.17 is telling us Jesus had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might then become a merciful high priest in the service of God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, we needed Jesus to be one of us. Now, moving on, here's number three. A third reason why Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, why He had to be born of the Virgin, number three, to become our sinless substitute. Number three, to become our sinless substitute. Now, I know many of you are already buzzing. You're still buzzing from last week's Super Bowl, and in particular, all the commercials that were running during the Super Bowl last week. A lot of people are still buzzing about their favorite commercials from Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you might remember back in 2013, there was another famous commercial that was gaining a lot of traction among people, and it was a commercial from Southwest Airlines. And they stirred up a lot of interest with a, a whole series of new television commercials where Southwest claimed to be, here was the, here was the uh, pitch, more than an airline. You like that? Oh, that's slick, isn't it? Some, somebody got paid a lot of money to come up with that. More than an airline. And so in these commercials, you got to see not just, you know, not just planes taking off, not just employees doing their regular jobs like airplane ma maintenance and baggage control and overseeing passengers and the pilots flying the plane. No, they showed you a whole bunch of other scenes in these commercials. They showed you their employees who were out there giving back to their communities. They were out there restoring playgrounds and building houses, and they were giving away food to people who were in need. And so they wanted you to see, as you watched all these commercials, Southwest Airlines. Ah, yes, we're an airline, but these commercials wanted you to see they are more than just an airline. Well, friends, we've been talking here for the last few minutes about Jesus Christ, that He was indeed a real human being. We drove that point home, as the Bible does. But we keep digging into the Scriptures, and we learn that Jesus Christ was also more than just a human being. Was He a human being? Well, yes, indeed He was. He was a human being, but Jesus was also more than just a human being. Yes, in the one aspect, He did possess full humanity. But the Bible also teaches that He also possessed full deity. So, in the one sense... In the one sense, Jesus was exactly like us. In one sense, He was exactly like us. But in another sense, He was nothing like us. Nothing like us because He was God. Now, why is this so important? Well, friends, it's so important because if you and I are going to be restored back to this holy God, well, we need someone who can bridge the gap. This massive chasm between sinners like us and this holy God, we need someone 
who can step in there and bridge the gap between God and man. Who can do it? Jesus can. Jesus can. Why? Because he is God and man. Jesus is the only one. Listen to me. Listen. Jesus, only Jesus, could bring God to us and bring us to God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, look in your notes, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Family, the Bible says that as the God-man, Jesus came to this earth on a mission to go to the cross. And He took our sins upon Himself, and He paid our debt. He suffered the death penalty that you and I deserved. So he comes down as the God-man. He has no sin, but he takes our sin in order that he could be our perfect payment to God the Father. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which is in your notes. Paul writes, For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God, friends. You should be thankful, so thankful today. Jesus was born a man. But even in that moment that He came from Mary's womb, He was more than a man. More than a man. The Bible affirms it. The Apostles' Creed champions it. Jesus was born of a virgin. But... That was only possible because of His conception by the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who did the work of conception, not Joseph. And that makes Jesus the God-man. Look in your notes. I gave you a wonderful quote from Dr. Robert Gramacki, who was for many, many years the professor of Bible at Cedarville University. His son, Gary, Gramacki has spoken here at our church. He was one of my professors at Baptist Bible Seminary. But this is Robert, his dad, who was, again, professor of Bible for many long years at Cedarville. But Dr. Gramacki wrote these words. This is a wonderful quote. He said this, If Jesus had been born through mortal generation, he would have died like all mortals. But his death would not have had an infinite, eternal, redemptive value. There had to be the incarnation of God, the Son, through the virgin conception to bring together into one person the two features necessary for redemption. Human mortality and divine value. That is such a great statement. That is so well spoken. That is exactly right. So believers, let's rejoice today that the God-man has come. Jesus Christ, He's the God-man. He was exactly what we needed. He came to be our sinless substitute. He came to be the, the perfect payment for our salvation. So let me just pause right here, friend. Let me, let me ask you today, dear listener, do you have, friend, do you have that true joy in your heart? Do you, do you possess that, that inner peace, that real hope that comes with knowing that your sins have been forgiven? Friend, I'm asking today, do you, do you know for sure that your sins have been forgiven, that your guilt is gone? Listen, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a stroke of luck. And it certainly wasn't chance. 
that Jesus Christ, the God-man, came into this world. Friend, I would submit to you today, it was not a chance. It wasn't luck. It wasn't an accident that you are in this moment right now. You are hearing in your own ears the good news about Jesus. Friend, God has you by His wisdom and His counsel and His will. He has you here today listening right now to the good news about Jesus. Friend, I'm asking today, will you turn from your sins with a repentant heart? And will you, with a heart of faith, will you trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior who was sent for you? Dear friend, the Bible says in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave Jesus, His only Son, so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins so that we could have our guilt removed, so that we can have an eternal life forever with Him. Friend, if you're listening to this message today, if you've never turned to Jesus in believing faith, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, oh friend, come to Him today. Believe on Jesus right where you are. The Bible says the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation, it's received by faith. People say, well, how do I receive salvation? It is by faith, the Bible says. What is faith? Faith is the heart that desires. Faith is the lips that ask. Faith is the hand that reaches out to receive. Friend, come to Jesus Christ today by faith. Believe on Him and welcome Him to be the Lord of your life. Friend, if you have questions about that, you want to know what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I'd be happy to talk to you, friend, anytime. You could talk to me after the service today. You could talk to any one of our deacons, any one of our leaders. You could talk to me this week, anytime. I'd be happy to sit down and have a Coke with you, have a coffee with you. We could talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. Well, family, we're going to look at one final reason now why Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why was He born of Mary's womb? Here's number four, to fulfill all the messianic prophecies of God. Number four, to fulfill all the messianic prophecies of God. Now, friends, my two youngest children who are not here, they're down in junior church. My two littlest, Carter and Hadley, are ages six and five right now. And those of you who are parents, you know that that puts them in this golden window of childhood when they want nothing more than to come and sit down on dad or mom's lap and have a story read to them. I'm so thankful that we have a good collection of children's books at home. Uh, many of our family members have given my kids books over the years, and many of you, many of our church family, have sent good children's books our way over the years as we've continued to have children after children after children for 20-plus years Many of you have given us lots of great books over the years. You've given us classics, classics like Dr. Seuss, and many of those titles that are in the Little Golden Book series. Raise your hand if some of you grew up having your parents or guardians read to you Dr. Seuss books. Let me see your hands. Dr. Seuss. And how about the Little Golden Books that have been around forever? Yes. Great, great stories that all of us have read since we were kids. You know, friends, when we think about the story of Jesus, our minds typically go right to the Gospels. 
We, we go right away to all of those gospel narratives where we think about all the stuff we read at Christmas. Those famous chapters, right? Matthew and, and Luke. But friends, what, what so many people have, have never heard before, what so many people don't seem to know is that the story of Jesus starts in Genesis. And it weaves its way like a red thread throughout the entire Old Testament. Genesis 3, verse 15, you have the fall of Adam and Eve, and, and there in the garden, God makes the first statement, the first promise. As He rebukes the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And Bible scholars tell us that Genesis 3.15 is the first glimmer of the gospel message. It's in Genesis. God says this first glimmer of good news, He is going to send someone through the line of humanity who will ultimately destroy the works of the devil and destroy him. We get to Genesis 12. We see there God makes another awesome promise to Father Abraham. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And, and, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will uh, dishonor those who dishonor you. But in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, how in the world could this ancient man, Abraham, how could he be a blessing to all the families of the earth? Question mark? What? How does this ancient man, he's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth? Yes, because through Abraham's line comes Jesus Christ, the Savior for all who would ever believe on him. Friends, there's this beautiful red thread of redemption that weaves all throughout the entire Old Testament signaling this coming Redeemer, the one who's coming, who's going to accomplish God's rescue mission. This Redeemer who's going to come, this Rescuer who's coming soon, and He's going to bring this mission of rescue, not to rescue us from some corrupt government or even some human tyrant. No, this Redeemer is coming to rescue us from something even more important. He's going to rescue us from sin. He's going to rescue us from eternal death. He's going to rescue us from punishment in hell. Jesus had to come. Here's the point I'm making. Jesus had to come in order to fulfill God's plan. God's plans and purposes that were unpacked all throughout the Old Testament. Here's the story that's being woven all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And then Jesus finally comes. He comes this miraculous conception by the Spirit. And He's born of a virgin? Here now the story is rising to the crescendo. He's here. He's here. The One, the Redeemer, the Messiah. He's here. That's why Jesus says to His disciples, look in your notes, I gave you Luke 24. Luke 24, 44. Jesus says, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Listen to this. That everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In Luke 24, 27 Jesus meets those people, those followers on the road to Emmaus. And Scripture says there, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the Scriptures 
and the things concerning himself. Christian friends, if we want to answer this question, why the miraculous conception? Why the virgin birth? Well, part of the answer must be that in sending Jesus to this earth, God was keeping his promises. The promises that he had been making since the dawn of creation, since right there in the Garden of Eden. We need to understand this, friend. Promises made were promises kept. And those promises ultimately bring us to eternal salvation. Well, family, as we draw this message to a close, I, I hope you can see why the Apostles' Creed makes these important statements affirming that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born through the Virgin Mary. At the very beginning of this message, I shared with you that both the entrance and the exit of Jesus were both marked by the miraculous. You know, how many times today do Christians get so pumped up? Christians get so excited. Man, they get so passionate when it comes to the talk of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, nothing gets Christians more excited than talking about Jesus, how he died on the cross for us, and he rose the third day, and then he was ascended back to his Father's right hand. Oh man, Christians, they get passionate about that. Of course, all those events, those miracles, at the close of Jesus' earthly life, yes, yes, they are so essential to our salvation. But listen to me. Listen, the events at the beginning are just as important. The events at the beginning are just as important. And as Christians, you and I ought to be as passionate for the Holy Spirit's conception of Jesus. We ought to be just as passionate about His virgin birth because they were just as miraculous and they were just as important so that our salvation could be accomplished. So Christian friends, I want you to start this new week by grabbing hold of both of these doctrines. I mean grab a hold of them with both hands. Affirm them. Believe them. And value them as the great treasures that they are. The miraculous conception and the virgin birth of Jesus. These are not just deep doctrines for theologians and seminaries. These are foundational truths that impact our Christian lives in powerful ways. And these doctrines ought to give us great joy. What incredible news. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would step down in unfathomable humility to be conceived by the Spirit, to be born of a virgin's womb. Jesus, the God-man, He came to this planet not to control us, not to conquer us, but to serve us and to save us so that we could be with Him for all eternity. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.